Anyway, this morning, oh, we're going to go to Matthew uh, chapter 6. Uh, as you know, I, ha- I have been enjoying this uh, immensely. I-, I actually can't wait to stay home the day I'm supposed to stay home and just open up the books and start reading and studying and, and looking at what God has to say here. And so I, I came to this passage that we're going to look at today. And the first thing I thought about was my ophthalmologist had just texted me and said, it's time to come in and, and have uh, an exam. Uh, you have to have an eye exam. And, and of course, I like going to the doctor and having my teeth pulled. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I don't believe maybe this is what I need to be doing. But anyway, I, I looked at this. And so I started to study about the human eye. There is probably no more fragile part of the human anatomy than the eye. It is delicate, to say the least. It's delicate. And I think we need to keep that in mind even when we're talking about it, when we're going to be looking at this particular passage from Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus speaks about. You see, it's through the eye, folks. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. It's, that's how you see and that's how you view the world. So obviously, if your eye is bad, you're going to see the world bad. The eyes help us to inform us of danger and and also at the same time of delight. And sometimes delight can... My wife sent me out yesterday to go get something for some folks that we were going to have at our house. And I I looked at something, it was delight. It was had lots and lots of sugar on top of it and all of this other stuff. I said, no, I'm not getting that. It was a delight to my eyes, but I didn't want to go any further with it. Do you know that more than 4.2 million Americans at 40 years of age and older are legally blind? 4.2 million are legally blind. Most of the issues have happened and become there because of a failing due to age or to disease. Uh, Here are some of the major eye diseases. Macular degeneration. Cataract. By the way, today, Henry Tolopilo is recovering from cataract surgery. That out this morning when we had prayer time. I said, oh, I can use Henry as an uh, illustration here. I've known him for 40 years, so I can do that. Uh, Dietetic retinopathy. That's another thing. And glaucoma. These are just some of the things that affect your eye. Refractive errors happen. Uh, Those are the most frequent eye problems in the USA. Macular degeneration is associated with aging, Tom. (laughs) You you set me up for that. I mean, you told me you got your, what was your blue card or whatever it is? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Medicare, that's right. Cataract, clouding of the eyes, the lens. Uh, is a leading cause of blindness worldwide. It's a leading cause of blindness worldwide. 20.5 million Americans, 40 and over, have cataracts in one or in both eyes. That's a... uh, you have the dietetic retinopathy, which is a, a, obviously a complication because of diabetes that happens if you get diabetes. Uh, that uh, can be something that will be affected as your eyes. Glaucoma is is damage to the eye's uh, optic nerve, and the result is vision loss and blindness. So you keep those things in mind as we're going through this message. 
uh, because those kinds of things affect our physical eye. But you know what? There are many things that affect our spiritual eye. Things that need to be dealt with, treated in a, in a sense, taken care of in a sense, and not, you know, sort of kick the can down the road sense. You need to deal with it. So let's look at, uh, and let's get some insight into the eye from Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We obviously have two different lessons here. Not really. They're just two different metaphors. Two different metaphors basically teaching the same lesson that we need to hear. Then we need to hear this often. This past week, I ran into one of our dear seminary students from this class, and he said to me, he says, are you going to deal with that thing about the eye? He says, because it seems like it's a throwaway from Jesus, a throwaway verse. And I said, son, <laughs> Jesus throws nothing. And this verse is absolutely imperative to be teaching about. Yes, it may take a little bit extra to get down to the nitty gritty. Jesus doesn't throw anything away. So there are two metaphors here. And, and the, the, the first one focuses on our spiritual vision. Our spiritual vision. The first metaphor is, is the use of the eye. It's ability to see. The second metaphor is the serving of two masters and its complexity. And there is a complexity of trying to serve two people at the same time. Last week we were challenged by way of identity uh, to identify ourselves and what our treasure is. What is it that we treasure most? What thing, what person, what purpose, what, what protection are we trying to give to ourselves? And, and when we start to notice that, whatever that treasure is, we, we get to see what we, what we love, what we care about. And so when you get that treasure down, you can figure out what it is. Please note that Jesus is, is not giving a lesson on optics here, folks. Jesus is saying that the more light that comes in, comes into your spiritual heart, your soul, the better it will be. You need to have light. Man is conditioned by the eye. Whether it's clear or bad, we are conditioned by it. Man is conditioned by what comes in. What you let your eyes even see and dwell upon and, and think about you think about bad theology, you read bad theology, it's going to be bad. You watch bad theology, listen to it, it's going to be bad. It, it doesn't matter, it's going to affect your heart. You're going to begin to make excuses. There's one big one going out there now, is that if I'm not emotionally in love with the person that I'm married to, then I can, the relationship over here, I can divorce them. No, you can't. No, you can't. That's not what the Bible says. Let's go back to the Bible, because that's going to help you have a clear eye. The right kind of eye. So how do we relate this metaphor of the eye as a lamp of the body? We, we all know that we take in gads of data all the time. Information, relationships with our eyes. I used to be able to see someone one time, get their name, and then I could remember their face and know their name. 
used to. Okay, now there are just too many folks that keep coming in and keep coming in and keep coming in. But that's how I used to use my eyes. I could do that. Matter of fact, my wife will tell you, we go to camp, we'd have 200 kids at camp. By the end of the week, I knew every single kid's name. In some cases, I knew what they were getting at home. So you better watch out, parents. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says, The eye is the lamp of the body, it will be full of light. When it says that the eye is clear, it means it is good. It means that it's healthy. This healthy or good eye is the direct opposite of what is bad, unhealthy, where one sees only jaded things, different things, muted things. It's bad. So if the eye is good or clear, the whole body will be full of light of righteousness. See, when you see a glass, is it half full or half empty? You see, if you see a person, is that what you're going to think good about them or you're automatically going to think bad about them because they got tats all over them or they don't dress properly or this kind of stuff? Wait a minute, folks. They still have the same image of God in them. And if you think any less of them, then you have a bad eye. You need to start dealing with that bad eye. They're God's creature. Created by him for his purposes. So we want to make sure that we have what I would call clear, healthy vision. If I may put it this way, kingdom vision. Because this is about God's kingdom. He's doing his work in his kingdom. And he's trying to grow the people of God to promote God. To promote him in every single way you possibly can. Friends, if you have a clear and a healthy sight, you have that kingdom vision. Everything that you see will be run through the grid of wholesomeness. Run your heart through the grid of wholesomeness when it comes to anybody else. Think the best. You see, that's God-blessed thinking. Yeah, we do have to be cautious, and, and there is a matter of caution. I mean, if a guy comes to my front door and he's got a gun in his hand and he wants to come in and take my goods, I know there's something wrong here. I just don't invite him in. You know, hey, I, you're, you're made in the image of God. No, you don't do that. <laughs> I just want to give you, there's some wisdom that needs to be applied here as well. But let's say you have macular degeneration or cataracts or glaucoma in your eyes and you can't see everything that you probably possibly could see and and yet you're not you're not seeing it clearly therefore your sight is affected by these diseases let me give you an illustration when i was a kid i, I grew up in a neighborhood um i was unlike any neighborhoods i've seen before there are a lot of abandoned homes or even abandoned apartment houses in my area so the gang of us we get together you know the guys and and we have to go explore we have to find out what's in those buildings you know and and uh, yes, we did have to break in, but there was nobody living there anyway. So we went into these abandoned homes. And, and we go through trying to find some little treasure here or there. You know, we get in those buildings and we couldn't see very much. But it's the middle of the day. It's not nighttime. It's the middle of the day. We couldn't see anything. We would try to scavenge it around and we couldn't find anything. And we realized, you know, the problem is... The windows are dirty and keeping the light from coming in. So we go over to the windows and we try to clean them up. But, 
you know, we're boys. We don't, we don't know how to do that properly. And so I came up with, or maybe someone else, I'm going to take, adva- I'm take a, uh, the hit on this. You know, what if we just smash the windows out? We'll get plenty of light in there. Started doing that kind of thing. And then we got plenty of light in there. You can't wash the soot off the window sometimes when it's so thick. And so that darkness began to become light in those buildings. This caused that which was made darker to become more light. You can see better. You know, sometimes we have that problem in our own heart that our eyes, spiritual eyes, are covered. They're cloudy. They have dirt. They have soot. All of those kinds of things. And you see, if your eye has been affected with corruption, that sight becomes diminished. You can't see God's purposes in doing what he's doing. And so how do we get that light in? We sometimes have to smash the windows. We sometimes target practice at those things which are inhibiting our sight. We sometimes have to tear them down. We need to smash openings so that we can get light onto that situation. All of those things which have been impede our spiritual vision, need to be dealt with. And folks, I don't know what they are for you individually, but they're there. You you, you may not be able to see over here on this side because there's some spiritual uh, inhibition. But I'm going to pick out just a few. So if I'm stepping on your toes, please excuse me. I'll shine your shoes later. (laughs) But prejudice is one of those. Prejudice, if you are a person of prejudice, that is one of those things. Because you see what happens? You already make a judgment. You already make a judgment if you've got prejudice. You see, that's a blend that we allow into our life. That distorts truth completely. Growing up, as I hopefully have done, I had an Irish grandfather Couldn't understand a word that he said because he had a brogue. (laughs) But he would sit me down and tell me how much I needed to hate the English. Ah, I'm serious. He he would teach me, you need to hate them because they did this to our family and they did this to our family and they did this in Ireland, all of this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there as a kid, I don't know. I have no clue. But this is how I heard. He talked told me how they destroyed homes when they came to Ireland, how growing up he hated and disliked the English. But now, but now, and I'm going, now, as a believer, those eyes have been cleared. I, I don't have those prejudice approach towards those people. But you see, when you hear those kinds of things all the time when you're growing up, There's going to be an animosity towards these English people. Matter of fact, he even made me read Leon Uris' book, The Trinity, which has nothing to do about the Trinity. It has all about hating English. As a matter of fact, I was asked to speak in Ireland a few years ago. And already my eyesight is clear, and so I I go there, and I'm I'm supposed to be speaking to this group of uh, men and women, 
And, and then I have some counseling and ministry to do over in another part of the country. And I'm traveling around. I think we were there for two or three weeks. And uh, I mentioned to this missionary, I said, I, you know, I'd like to use this illustration that I have from um, John Owen. He went, no. <laughs> Why? John Owen was the priest who came in with Oliver Cromwell to knock those houses down and to kill people and to wreck churches and all those kinds of things. You don't use John Owen as in the illustration. So you can see, even today, even today, and this is in the church, there's a prejudice. There's a, there's a sight that's been hampered to see truth. Those men that came over and Oliver Cromwell did those things. Yes, John Owen didn't. John Owen was the priest because he's in the, they're in the army and he's the priest that was sent with them. But they still have this inhibition to see things clearly. Even today, you can see um, the battles that sometimes go on in Northern Ireland between the Protestants and the Catholics. Clouded vision. Here's another one. Again, maybe jealousy is your problem. Jealousy. Jealousy of others because of what they have. Jealousy because of what their abilities are. Jealousy because they get chosen to preach in the pulpit at Grace Community Church. Okay, those kinds of things. That's evil. That, that's a vision, a spiritual vision that's been clouded over. You need to begin to examine your heart through the lens of God's word. Jealousy is corrupting when making decisions. It's in, unclean. It's imprecise biblical thinking. You need to train your heart, your mind in the things of God so that you don't have that kind of attitude. And you know what, folks? You know I do counseling and I hear it all the time. People don't even know that they're saying it, but I hear it. But did you notice what you just said there? And, oh, I, I didn't really mean that, but you said it. And you're jealous of this other person here. Because they have something you don't have. Maybe it's because they're married. Maybe it's because they're, they're, they're out of their marriage. I don't know. Whatever it is, you can hear it. Maybe because they have children and you don't have children. That, that's, I understand that. There's pain there. But we want to have clear eyes. Pure eyes. The eyes that Jesus is speaking of here. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Another one, and I'm not going to go through too many more, is pride. Pride. That's a, that's a corruption that affects proper eyesight for sure in every individual. And I'm going to say that this is the only time I can say every. The root of all sin. It is through what, which everything else. You see, this particular problem renders the individual incapable from seeing his own inadequacy. Because, you see, he doesn't look in the mirror. He's only looking out there. And pride is what does that. It causes this person to be able to, or I should say, not be able to take correction. Did you ever find somebody like that? My, my dad said that about me. <laughs> yeah, that's why at 17 he said, leave. <laughs> There's no way I could take correction. It just wasn't. It was not there. It was not my spiritual vision. When your vision is telling you that you are the wisest person in the world and everybody else is inferior to you, 
then you can go and attack a country. You can go do these kinds of things. Pride. And then, folks, we can go to outright sin and rebellion. That's going to cloud your vision because you keep going after that sin. <clears throat> You've created a, what we call in, in, in biblical counseling a habit. I, I, I have to do that thing. You don't. There's nothing that, you know, that God is standing there saying, you know, you need to go do that. You got to go do that. No, I don't care what the issue is. Folks, if you are incapable of seeing your own faults, how in the world can the eyesight ever be improved? How, how can you work on that eyesight to, to grow in spiritual matters? And again, I'm going to say the way it should be said, those windows need to be smashed out. You, you need to be able to take the correction from somebody who's seeing those issues and begin to deal with them. You don't need to turn there because we used this verse last week, but it could so appropriate. Ecclesiastes 2.10. Refuse them. He did whatever he wanted. His sin was abundant. Wives and alcohol and all kinds of things. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. You see, when you, you think you've had a good week of work and you, maybe you've gotten a big bonus because you've been working so hard, you go out and party. No, it's the wrong thing to do. Corruption. You see, corruption here is favored over righteousness. That's what happens. The condition of the eye or the, or the window determines the quality of light that enters the body. As it says here, if your eye is clear. The word clear has a, a, a meaning of being generous. I, I, I had never thought of it in those terms. But a Christian, believing, following Christian, is generous in his eyesight. It's clear because he thinks the best of others. She thinks the best of others, whatever it is. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The word for clear eyesight is that word generous. And I just love it. It is, and it fits so well in here in this particular passage, 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy 6. And 1 Timothy 6. 17, it says this, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to be fixed their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Do you see that? It's the grace of God that he keeps giving to you. Instruct them to do good, rich in good works, to have clear eyes or to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves a treasure of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Folks, have that generous eye towards others. And maybe it's in money, and it's not always in money, but be generous in your judgment of others. I mean, this week, it, uh, once again, it, it, it showed itself up in a particular situation I was dealing with. And this person just thought evil of what this other person was doing. And they weren't doing it. Somebody else was. So you have those kinds of situations. You see, we do tend to think the worst of people. Think the best of people. And know this. God is working on them but he's also working on you as well. 
even in some of those things. This is the man or woman who wants the most out of the light that is given to him. Most out of the light that is given to her. They want to have that divine revelation. The word of God to be be in their heart and in their mind. You see, this kind of person who's dealing with their issues wants to maximize God. Wants to radiate God's goodness, his kindness. Go back to Matthew, if you're not there. But we're going to look at something that we just looked at, well, a few weeks ago, months ago maybe. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, what does it say there? You are the light of the world. You as believers are the light of the world because this place is pretty dark. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 16, let light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is heaven. It's not you, your good works in particular, but it's God who is in you to work and to will his good pleasure. They need to see that. Well, why did you do that? Why did you help that old lady across the street? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? I did it because I love God. I love Jesus. That's why we do those things. But, look at Matthew 6. But if your eye is bad, But if your eye is bad, that word has the idea of being ungenerous. As a matter of fact, even stingy, that's what it has the idea of. It's a stingy eye of not seeing the best in the other person, growing in some way. This eye is described by some rabbis as those who are ungenerous in their person towards others. They're critical and demeaning of others. That's all they see is the worst in people, not the best in people. They never have a good word to say about others. Years ago, I know uh, someone who wrote a book and was critical of a particular pastor that I know. And I asked that particular pastor that I know, why would somebody write a critical book about you, especially when they were in a seminary that you happened to support? So you may get an idea of who it is. This pastor said to me, sometimes people just like to tear you down so they can get on your shoulders because they're not big enough. And, and that's what I've seen over and over and over again. A person is said to be cheap in his love for others. He's cheap and he's not generous in his love for others. They have a distorted, they have a fractured view of people. They have bad eyesight, spiritual eyesight that is. Turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy 15. Moses gives us some good insight here. Deuteronomy 15. And in verses 9 and 10, Moses says this. He says, beware. That there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission. By the way, it was at the end of every seven years. They were supposed to let their slaves go. Hebrew slaves go. He says, don't let your heart be have base thoughts. The seventh year, the year of remission is near. And your eye is hostile toward your poor brother. And you giving him nothing. And cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall 
generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your understandings. Beware. Beware of thinking unworthily of your brother. If we call ourselves brothers and sisters, I actually think of my brothers and sisters in this room closer than my own blood brothers and sisters. Now, they don't know the Lord. I mean, we can talk about superficial things, but we can actually talk about life things, uh, eternal things. But I can't do that with my brothers and sisters who I'm blood with. We're closer. Don't think unkindly of one another. Think generously of other. Well, our physical eyes are given to us. They are given to illumine what's around us. Our spiritual eyes are to do the same. Spiritually. Their God-given spiritual eye is, is to light up the inner person. To guide us and hopefully clean our conscience. And, and to enlighten our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and our Creator. What happens spiritually is that your, your sight is affected by the things that you set your eyes on. If you set your eyes on the wrong things, it's going to become clouded. The various corruptions of the truth that you may see, the various depravities of this world that may entice, the various distortions of reality that begin to happen. Proverbs, you don't need to turn there. Proverbs 28, 22 says, As a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. If that's all you're doing, and you don't care who you have to climb over, who you have to step over, who you have to lie to, who you have to corrupt to get that, guess what? Your want will come upon you. That's a guarantee from God. I want to hear what God has to say about those kinds of things. These things that are in the world, these distractions dim the light and do not give us righteous answers. We make excuses. Oh my goodness. If I had a penny for every excuse I've heard in my office, I, Elon Musk would be in trouble because I may have more money than him. <laughs> Seriously. Don't make excuses. Take care of it. As it says in Matthew 6, 23, bad eye means greedy, stingy, covetous eyes. If your eyes, whether physical or spiritual, are in good condition, the body receives the light and acts in conjunction with the spirit. Notice the gigantic word that's here in this text. If, if your eye is clear, indicates that it is devoted to one wholesome purpose. And that wholesome purpose is the purpose of God. Following after Jesus. Years ago in faith builders, they used to say, we need to be gospel billboards. People need to be able to see that. We're advertising Jesus by our actions, how we love one another, how we care for one another. See, there's a singleness of purpose for the healthy eye. It means you have a fixed vision. You have a fixed goal. Let me give you some ideas, some, some thoughts, some other... I think, of, and I love 2 Corinthians 5, 9. It's one of my favorite. It's just a very simple, therefore. We also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. 
Folks, if we put home an absent, that means everywhere. You're to be pleasing to God. Whatever you do, whatever you say, however you act is to be pleasing to God. Micah 6, 8, which was one of my favorite when I was listening to Awana verses, it says this, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That is a Christian man, a Christian woman who loves God. That's how they walk. They don't walk boastfully. What do you have that I did not give you? That first uh, Corinthians 4, 7. The opposite of the clear eye, and we're going to look at that for a little bit. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. This is the man who doubts. This is the man who plays with the things that he should not be playing with. He's playing with the temptations of this world. He's playing with self, and he gets corrupted. Remember this, the eye can be bad for two possible reasons. The spiritual eye as well. Deception. You don't need to take care of your eyes. Or disease. Actually allowing things in. When the eye is bad because of greed or prejudice, like I pointed out before, pride, it suffocates the light. There's no expression of God in there. There's, there's no warmth that we receive from the light that God gives us. No room remains for the love of God because you're pursuing other things. You're not pursuing the goodness. You see, when we are walking by the Spirit, we have a generous eye. How do I know? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When I have that fruit, nine of them, then I am going to have that light telling me how to answer the questions that may be given to me or the life problems that come my way. You see, when you have that light there, you have no divided loyalties or motives. We seek what is good and what is wholesome. I, I do need to take this time, and I'm, I'm sorry that I do, but Romans chapter 1. I see the, the Lord turning the light out. I, 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 hope, I don't think any of you are there. But I do see the Lord turning the light out to some degree. And this is where I see it. One, and, and you've heard Pastor John preach on this, and so I'm not going to get into an, any expositing of this. But in Romans chapter 1, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their heart. That's what happens when you continue to do those things. He gives them over to the lust of their heart. Gives them over to impurity. We see that in verse 24. Verse 26. God gave them over to grating passions. They, they keep going after those things. They, they want those things. And, and it doesn't always have to be sex. It can be all kinds of things uh, uh, for passions. And then in verse 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Depraved mind doing things. And folks, do you, do you see our country going down a depraved path? Oh my word. The things that are there, I mean, it's there already, but it's, going, it's getting even more depraved. Which tells me the return of Christ is not too far away. But the lights are going out, folks. Your light needs to shine more. So people can see in that dark house that's been abandoned. Now, the second metaphor, and I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible, we find back in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, for no one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. While we have a singleness of focus is encouraged in the first metaphor, now we have a singleness of service. That's what's emphasized here. The word serve here in the NAS actually means slave. Jesus was talking about slaves here. He's talking about masters. Masters had absolute ownership of the slave. He could have them do anything. Do you know what? In the ancient world, he could kill them. He could kill them and get, get away with it because they were a slave. They're a piece of property. If there are two masters, it's an impossibility. You, you cannot serve those two masters because, you know, you may have one nice master and the other one's not so nice. Well, who do you think you're going to hang around with? You're going to want to do what the nice master has you do. They, they have maybe even uh, different objectives, all of those kinds of things. So you can't serve those two people. That did happen on occasion, but it's not a good thing. Jesus says it strongly here, for no one. I love those words. For no one, not even one individual. That's the strength of this. Not even one individual is able to equally divide their loyalties between God and riches is basically what he's saying here. You cannot. Not that, folks, that doesn't mean that you give up your job or your investments or anything else. But what you treasure, where is it? At the end of the verse, he says, you cannot extremely extreme it's impossible to serve both of them there is no way but you see folks when you got saved and i pray to god that all of you in here are saved and you know the lord jesus christ and if you don't please i'm here the, the you just i heard from tom come up and speak to us we'd love to george can help you any of the mature men that are in this room that know jesus christ you can come and speak to them you need to do that, but I do need to run to Romans chapter 6. I'm glad John is going along today. It's him. It's the pastor God gave me. Romans chapter 6. This is what happens when you have declared yourself as a believer. It says, do you not know that when you present your body, yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in or of obedience resulting in righteousness. You see, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you said, I follow him and only him. That's what you said. If you're trying to play both sides, you, you can't play that way. It's an impossibility to keep being in the world and then being in the church. Especially, especially when you know there's a line there. There's a line there that you shouldn't be crossing. And folks, I, I have folks like that coming in my office all the time that have crossed the line. And they, oh, how did I do that? Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Folks, commit yourselves this day. Focused. To make sure that your eyesight is set on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Verse 18, and, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. And folks, I do understand sin. It's there. But you run from it as much as you can, and then you repent of it when you have to. 
For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And God knows. God knows your heart much better than anybody else. So folks, if I can encourage you with one last Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is speaking again, but he's speaking to the churches. And in fact, today we have churches that are like this. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. He's giving a warning because there's some churches out there that, uh, you know, we, 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 we shut down, we do this, we do that. I mean, one church was it two and a half years before they opened up. Are you kidding me? I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind. Folks, we, we, we don't want to go through this life blind. We want to make sure that we are lords. That we actually act like we are the lords. You see, a slave is owned by his master. He belongs to his master. I am a slave of Christ. I do what he tells me to do, to the best of my ability, obviously. God demands exclusive loyalty and devotedness. He said that to the Jews. I, mean, I, I think of the story of, of Moses coming down from the mountain to give them the Ten Commandments, and here they are. What are they doing? Worshiping a, a, a golden calf. I mean, how ridiculous. Do you know what? God knew that they would be doing those things, and he still chose them. He still chose them. Once you come to Christ, you demand that you no longer belong to this world, but you belong to God. And may this verse, and I can see folks are starting to line up out there, but may this verse sit on your heart today and and it move this particular verse. Galatians 2.20 I, speaking of Paul, he's speaking of himself here, but I would put my name in there, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The day I got saved, I didn't know what that meant. But I said from Montreal, Canada, coming back to California, I need to learn what that means. I need to get into the Word to find out what that means. And it's no longer the life that I've been living, although it was a good life to some degree, but it was all revolved around me. But I want to live God's way. That's what I want. Folks, there's a few other things I have to say, but I have already gone over my time. But I do want us to take some information down that is, I think, for better vision. Psalm 119, verse 18. It's a prayer. And David is saying this, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open your eyes to see the things that God has given to us. They're rich. They're healthy. Let me pray.
Father God, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for your love for us that is so extraordinary that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for your son who has made our lives richer and fuller and beautiful and full of light.